This is Corkscrew Convo's Another Theme Park Podcast. My name is Chris. And my name is DJ. And we're here to talk about theme parks, roller coasters, barbecue, the theater, river expeditions, and everything else under the sun in its time. But first, let's get this disclaimer out of the way. The views, opinions, and information expressed during the following presentation are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent organizations affiliated with those individuals. DJ, I pose a question to you to open up this podcast episode. I don't know if we're really about to get really deep really quickly. I'm not sure if the listener is ready for this, but here we go. Does absence make the heart grow fonder in your experience? Mm. Yeah, I, I that's I kind of don't even really need to think about that. I I would say yes. I'm I'm missing so many things right now. Um, <laughs> it seems like yeah. this last week, for whatever reason, I have just been craving a visit to a Disney park. Disney specifically. I don't know why. I've kind of been the like turkey legs. Uh, you know, I you, you know me, Chris. I'm really not a turkey leg fan. Yeah. <laughs> Love Dole Whip. Um, you know, uh, I think it was because. Um, Maybe a quick shout out. I, I was watching some things from Tim Tracker. Um, I've watched him for such a long time, um, but they did a special this last week. Maybe might have even been a couple days ago, where they were doing all of the hot dogs in Magic Kingdom, uh, which they're like, yeah, there's a lot of hot dogs there. I didn't know that, um, but I've just seen Magic Kingdom in his videos, and I'm like, oh man, I want to go here. And then I got into this rabbit hole of all the resorts that's at Disney World. And then I got into another rabbit hole of just watching the Skyliner just go around Disney World for unedited, like 15 minutes. Hmm. <laughs> just how much I missed it. I just had it on in the background. But yeah, I, I want to go. I, I think you're right. Yeah, absence does make the heart grow fonder. Well, I ask this question because the nature of themed entertainment, of attractions, of all of it, is that it is fleeting. It's a fleeting experience. And I just recently was just thinking about this and I wanted to get your thoughts about it. Mm. The roller coaster ride lasts two minutes, mm-hmm. maybe four minutes if it's a Disney coaster. Yeah, or the voyage. The, <laughs> yeah. The Disney vacation, it lasts a couple of days down in Orlando. Uh, the churro lasts 30 seconds if you're me. <laughs> and <laughs> the, the fireworks spectacular lasts four years, apparently. And we're going to dive into that a little bit more uh, later on in the episode. But these things are built to be variable. They're built to be rotated in and out and and changed so that the the experience is made fresh, is made new. Uh, And I think that has trickled down to regional parks as well. Uh, We're seeing even with a lot of the Cedar Fair parks, they're doing Grand Carnival which is a sort of international food festival and an evening parade and and lots of entertainment. We look at the the Busch Gardens parks and the SeaWorld parks. It seems like every weekend is a different special event, a different seasonal experience to get people in to drive these repeat visit that's a repeat business from uh, annual pass holders and that sort of thing. So what does this mean for us? The fear of missing out is great, DJ. FOMO is real, and it's here. But that's how they get you. I have serious FOMO in everything in my life, and I think that FOMO is so substantial when it comes to theme parks. I mean, any park I go to, any experience I do, it just seems like 
oh, could we just stay a little bit longer or could this just be a little bit bigger? And you're right, theme parks excel at that. They know um, that time is really the most precious asset that any of us have. We cannot buy more time. We can't sell more time. Uh, we can only choose where and how to spend that time. Uh, and I think you're right with the regional parks too. I mean, some things at Disney, it seems like they have something new every day and that keeps even locals coming back. Um, so these other parks are really starting to, to, to really figure it out. And we've talked about this too in previous episodes. How can these parks create a season that is truly, if not all, all, the, all the way, 365 days out of the whole year? Yeah, it's, uh, it's essentially must-see TV, but in theme park form. <laughs> I think that's how they get you. Well, I mentioned this, DJ, because we're going to be doing some looking back in this episode for multiple reasons, but uh, we're also going to be talking about a big Walt Disney World experience that is going away. I'm humming <laughs> it in my head currently. Oh, I don't even know the tune, but yeah. <laughs> I, I think I know it. That's why I'm humming it in my head. I, I can't be put on the record trying to, to hum it out. Well, we are here in July. I, we are in the dog days of summer. We had a, a very nice discussion uh, in our last episode about the future of summer at theme parks, about how it's uh, it's hot and what does that mean for the theme park experience. We really talked about that uh, in our last episode. So, dear listener, if you haven't listened to that one yet, finish this episode and then go back and listen to that one. Mm, a time capsule of an episode. <laughs> One well, yeah, say. it's funny that you mention a time capsule of the episode, DC, because in that same episode, you shared with us your early thoughts from your <laughs> first time <laughs> watching a home box uh, office series called Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes, uh, I look back to that episode, that time capsule. Um, I, I was but a child. I will say that. Uh, I had many takes or many predictions even in that uh, episode that uh, will never come true. I had many wishes. I, I, I said, oh, these folks would be great to be king someday. And well, that's all I'll say. Well, you're in season five now, so you are progressing well. You're actually yes. burning through the series. It. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, so by this time next week, maybe you will be done with Game of Thrones. <laughs> and and maybe we're just going to dedicate the whole episode to talking about your thoughts about Game of Thrones. I, I love don't it. Know. It's, it's hard for me to find a TV series that I can really, even movies that I can latch on to. I don't know what my problem is, but I'm trying to watch all of the Marvel movies even. And like I was telling you earlier, oh, like, you know, I, Ant-Man, probably one of the worst Marvel films, in my opinion. And then that gets me discouraged because I'm like, what if the next one is that bad? And then I watch Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. That's the best Marvel movie I've ever seen. So, hmm. you know, I don't know what my problem is, but I, it just seems like every episode of Game of Thrones I am interested in. And they're not all incredible, but they're all good or they're all great. And so I really haven't encountered that since probably Ted Lasso last year. Uh, I got to start season two of that as well. Yeah, there's a, a lot of good TV out there. Sometimes it's TV that's been out for a decade and you're just now getting to it. <laughs> yes. Sometimes yes. that's just how it works. And, and DJ, you've avoided spoilers so far for the most part, right? Uh, yeah. For Game of Thrones, I, I did know of a certain thing that happens. Probably the biggest thing for people that had been watching the show live 
in season it's either in season I think it's in season three or early in season four um, I don't really want to say much more because just telling you what that event is dear listener if you've not seen it it'll spoil it for you um, but I knew that something was going to happen that upset a lot of people because I watched it retroactively there was no way I could avoid knowing the event was happening I didn't know who was going to be affected by the event um, but that was the big spoiler for me I had also seen some I think maybe some promotional material or something as a certain character becoming king uh, I don't want to say who that is but I at this point I don't see how that could ever happen so I think it was just promo material I don't even know what you're referring to at this point. <laughs> and I, I'm I, not going to go into it because I don't want to spoil anything for you. That's um, fine. But in terms of recent episodes that we've had, uh, we have a bit of a hot streak going on. I mean, just in June, we had Drew the Intern join us to plan the future of Kings Island out in Mason, Ohio. We spent more than two hours evaluating that park, what it has what it had and what we want it to have. And so we put together about five years of the future of Kings Island about what we would do. Uh, we also have Joey, who is the master meme smith from Silver Dollar City. Joey joined us to talk about uh, cinnamon bread, sharks, Twitter, theme park marketing, all of that. Sorry, did fun. you say sharks? Yeah, we uh, we talked about sharks, and I am not afraid to say it. I think I'm going to speak my truth here, and sharks are my truth. I am all about folks speaking their truth, so so you say that, Chris. But in the next episode, we talked about really the top 40 attractions that we believe are the best that have a height limit under 48 inches. Very popular height limit in that most rides have that distinction. You're either over 48 and you can do everything, or usually once you're under 48, you can't do a lot. Um, but that was exciting uh, because we have a new addition in our family. And so I got to kind of look at more rides that maybe I wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards things that aren't as intense, things that aren't super fast, things that aren't super tall. Well, DJ, how tall is baby now? <laughs> I think he's 20 inches. Okay. Baby is on his way. Baby. I like the sound of that. Baby is on his way. I We're at the point where it's like, oh, I just want him to be his own person. If he doesn't like coasters and, you know, fun stuff like that, themed entertainment, that's fine. Just like something is where I'm at. So I'm just yeah. excited to see what he likes. Will he be put on a coaster when he's younger? Probably, but I also don't want to traumatize him. So got to be selective of what I do and when I do it. Well, I know that there are some attractions out there that the rider, there is no height requirement for them. They simply have to be able to oh, yes. um, straddle the little horse and and mm -hmm. sit up straight and s be in that position for the ride. Yeah, um, yep. I know that because I've operated an attraction like that. <laughs> and um, so I'd say... Uh, I do not know anything about the timeline on when we can even think about baby walking or whatever. I, I know we're probably a ways away from that, but when baby's able to walk or, or do other things like that, stand up, sit up straight, I think it's time to start looking at the parks. <laughs> we've got a we've got an awesome uh, just you know city park right beside us where we live, and so. I'm sure that'll be first. We'll try out some slides. We'll get that feeling. We'll probably go to the community pool at some point, get some water slides going. We'll, we'll ease into it. Uh, 
I was put on a coaster when I was three or four. Um, and it wasn't even a coaster. I think it was maybe the, this is an old hot, not a hot take. This is like an old deep, deep cut. Um, it's the water boggin at silver dollar city. It's no longer there. Um, but this is a giant water slide that really didn't belong in a theme park. But I was put on that when I was, I think three, I might've been even younger than that. And I remember like being in a car seat attached to the ride. It was, it's a very vivid memory because it was so traumatizing. I remember riding that and I was like, Nope, all of this stuff sucks. I'm never doing this ever again. And then I was put on a dragon wagon the next year. And I remember just crying my eyes out, hating the entire thing. And so it wasn't until I was eight or not, probably eight years old that I got on a major coaster and somewhat enjoyed it. But then I didn't go upside down until I think I was in the seventh grade. Wow. There's a, I love it. (laughs) There's a a lot to think about here. (laughs) I'll go talk to my therapist. Uh, Well, we, it's interesting. I, I wasn't expecting to really talk about this this episode, but we still haven't covered our origin stories. And that is something that we had originally gotten a listener question for early on by a listener named Mara. Mara asked us, how did you get into all this? And, mm. and we said, wow, that's a big question. We'll do that next episode. And then we forgot. Um, so Maybe with Black Widow coming around. Well, it's already out. That's a good origin story. We, we keep with that theme. Yeah, maybe next episode, I know we're about to say this again, but maybe next episode, (laughs) (laughs) let's go into our origin stories, because of course, I I think I first went upside down on a roller coaster in 2011, so it's, uh, I definitely didn't ride as soon as I was able, because I I was scared when I was little, and that sort of thing, Uh, so I think that is something that we should definitely look into Mm -hmm. uh, for our next episode, so let's pencil that in, and listener, if you are new to Corkscrew Convos, welcome, thank you for stopping by, take a look around, take a listen, and we hope you enjoy yourself. Yes, please enjoy yourself, and uh, there's plenty of ways to get in contact with us. We're going to answer a listener question here in just a second, and that listener question came to us um, through the variety of means that we have available uh, for you to get in contact with us, whether that's on Twitter, Facebook, our website, corkscrewconvos.com. We also have our email, corkscrewconvos at gmail.com, but if you have a question, send it our way, and you could really form the the episode, and I don't know, maybe if we pencil it in that we're going to do origin story next week, maybe you have an early memory you want to share with us. Maybe there was something cool about your first ride that you remember, or maybe a fear of overcoming something, or a cool family vacation that you'll always remember. Send it our way, and we'll share it, and we'll keep it anonymous if you want, Um, but we'd love to share that with all the other dear listeners here. Yeah, yeah, I like the sound of that. Well, DJ, you mentioned the listener question. Let's get into it now. This comes to us from Dale from Twitter. So quick first shout out to Dale. Hey, Dale. Shout out to you. Thank you for this question. Dale asked us, what do you collect? I like coaster magnets. And then they shared a great photo of so many coaster magnets. It's a really great collection. Can I share something with you, Chris? And sure. For your listener at home. I don't know if you know this. You might know this, Chris, but um, before I decided to change the entire entire trajectory of my post-secondary education life, I was going to become an engineer and specifically work with induction motors for roller coasters. That's exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to do launching systems and braking systems on roller coasters. 
Huh, I did not know that. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, I always thought that was the most fascinating part of, of coasters was those LSMs and those LIMs, but that takes smart people's stuff, so <laughs> dropped that. That's very interesting. Yeah. Magnets, huh? Those are magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's cool. I, we appreciate Dale sending that over and that awesome photo you shared with us. Uh, well, what do you collect, Chris? I know that you have a piece of coaster track. I don't think you have a magnet uh, <laughs> in your closet. <laughs> well, it's funny that you mention it because I, I have to mention this on probably almost every episode. But yes, I do have a piece of roller coaster track from Son of Beast, which was a legendary wooden roller coaster that opened at Kings Island in 2000 and it closed in 2009. And when they demolished the coaster in the fall of 2012, they sent me a piece because I knew I needed it. <laughs> so it's on a plaque. It comes with a certificate of authenticity. It's very heavy and it is a, 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 sh a shining jewel of my collection and that's not j-u-u-l that's j-e-w-e-l <laughs> it's a shining jewel in my collection is this piece of son of beast track right next to your actual shining jewel no i i don't have a jewel <laughs> but yeah. isn't that thing is that piece of track isn't it like 30 pounds or something it's heavy i've never yeah. weighed it but you it's could do definitely... like a kettlebell workout with it i'd say it's heavier than a kettlebell but oh, it's uh 35 like it's... pounds I don't know. I don't have Ooh. a lot of... Okay. Uh, I don't heavy. know how to measure it, but... <laughs> you need, like, a concrete wall anchor to mount it on your wall. Yeah, I don't hang it because I know it would rip <laughs> out the drywall, so I just sort of prop it against the half wall. <laughs> okay, that's fine. That's fine. Yes. Don't stub your toe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But getting into what else we collect, if we're talking about product categories, first thing that comes to mind for me is souvenir cups. And that's because they have many uses. They're practical on trips. We can get these sodas. And usually if you buy the souvenir cup that day, you get free refills on the day of purchase. Right. Uh, and deal. then maybe something like $1 refills for the rest of the season. And then it has a, another use afterwards, and that is a use of being ornamental. <laughs> and that is the, the bookcase behind me. Uh, I have one, two, three, four. I have 14 souvenir cups up there on that bookcase. And they're wow. from parks that I've visited because I like to stay hydrated, DJ, and it's important. And, and yeah. the souvenir cups really facilitate that. So I, I'm a sucker for drink all day at a park when, yeah. when it comes to soft drinks. Yep. Yeah. So that's something that I collect. Um, hats, parks map, park maps. Those are also things that are fun to grab on the way out. You just got to be careful that you don't buy the hat too early in the day. Because if you buy it and then you go to ride Space Mountain at Disneyland, <laughs> you will not have that hat any longer. It's a difficult balance, though, because, you know, like when I last time I went to Disney World, they were celebrating the anniversary of Haunted Mansion. Um, I don't know what number anniversary, um, but I went to Memento Mori, which is the gift shop there. And there was a book I really wanted. It was a $50 history of the Haunted Mansion book. Um but I didn't want to carry it around all day. But then it's a difficult balance, like I was saying, because it's like, okay, now I have to remember before the park closes to go all the way back to that gift shop at the back of the park and get it and get out of there. Um, it's not something that's easily accessible. So do you kind of plan your day knowing that's a souvenir I want, like that's the hat I want, and then go back to it? 
No, I usually go to the big gift shop near the front, and if okay. they don't have it, then I don't get it, and I just leave. Okay. I don't put that much thought and planning into uh, souvenirs usually. Um, I, I mean, now I'm sad because I'm thinking about the hat I lost on Space Mountain. That <laughs> coaster, it can't go faster than 30 miles per hour, am I right? No, but, no. but tight corners. And... And bunny hops you're not prepared for. Yeah, and it's a great ride. I love Space Mountain at Disneyland, but I was in the back row, and I was loving it, and then the hat flew off my head, and I bellowed, No! <laughs> sort of like Darth Vader when he was thrown down the chasm. Uh, one of the many times that people fell down a chasm in Star Wars movies. Yeah, well, but, he jumped himself. To sacrifice himself. Well, Wait, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. Uh, I don't even remember. I haven't he watched Darth Return Sidious of the Jedi down. For If a you long haven't time. seen Star Wars Episode Six by now, there's a, there's an issue. But but uh, yeah, I, I I get what you're saying. Like that would be so frustrating to be on that ride and then to lose it. Did they take the picture after you lost the hat so that you saw the sheer disappointment in your face? Yes, because the picture at Disneyland Space Mountain is very close to the end. Hmm. And I would have bought that. I would have bought that. Well, I did not because I didn't want to remember. <laughs> I even filled out the little lost and found thing. And oh, I no. checked that lost and found office multiple times. <laughs> oh. I, lost a, I lost an IR wand from Universal uh, in um Yeah, you left land. it at the hamburger place. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Mm. It, yeah, terrible it stings, feeling. DJ. It stings. <laughs> it does. Well... Another thing that I might collect, and this is not as common because it is a higher dollar amount, but this is something that if I really want to treat myself, I'll consider it. And that is something like a, a dry fit polo shirt with either the park logo or the ride logo. If I really want to look official and and like, oh yeah, I'm cool, <laughs> I'll get a, a polo shirt. But usually if it's something like Nike or Under Armour, that's going to be seventy plus dollars, so it's definitely not a common thing. Yeah, but definitely a quality item, I would say. Yeah, and I have a couple from um, various experiences and/or employment um, through the years, but uh, uh, it's definitely something that can be pricey if uh, mm -hmm. if you want to collect it as a, a category there. But DJ, what do you generally collect? Well, you know, as far as themed entertainment goes, um, when I'm in a park, you know, I like merchandise that's not, I'm trying to think of the word, I'm coming up with souvenir-y, and I think you know this about me, Chris, uh, but I want something that I can wear anytime I want. I want it to just really mesh uh, with the rest of my wardrobe, so something that's that's subtle. Um, I, I really love collecting shirts right now, um, specifically like throwback collections of rides, so uh, at least in Kansas City, there's a company called Charlie Hustle, um, and they do awesome shirts. Like they have Kansas City Chief stuff, Boulevard Brewing Company, but they also have a special Worlds of Fun collection. And so I've got the Zambezi Zinger shirt, Timberwolf, um, Orient Express, all three of which are throwback. Um, they've re-released a couple. Now there's a new Mamba shirt that I'm gonna have to get my hands on. Looks awesome. Um, there's also a new re-release of Orient Express, so just different colors. And I think Timberwolf got a re-release as well. Um, so I do like collecting stuff like that. 
Um, you know, kind of with you, Chris, love collecting maps because it's just free. <laughs> I'll get like five copies of a map to make sure that one one of them gets creased up and can be thrown away. I've got a second one. Um, I do like buttons a lot because it's just a dollar or two. And it's like, oh, cool, a button. I have a wall at work uh, where I've got all my different buttons out. I've got some cool new ones. I've got some older ones. I've got the original um, Banshee logo, which is now Mantis before they changed the name at Cedar Point. I've got that on my desk. I've got some cool um, things from different parks I've been to, just kind of weird ones, if that makes sense. Uh, and, you know, something sometimes I'll look for, like, cool and out there things. I was at Disney World one time, um, and I was leaving Magic Kingdom, and one of those gift shops towards the entrance of the park, I can't think of the name of it, um, but they had this awesome, like, I guess it's a diorama or, like, just a statue, essentially, of different Disney moments. It's one shop that has a bunch of them, um, and they had one with Lock, Shock, and Barrel from The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is one of my very favorite movies. Uh, and, and I was like, I've got to get that. And that was a complete impulse buy. But those are kind of the weird things that I have as far as coaster stuff. I've got the old Firehawk banner. Um, is it Firehawk? I can't remember. No, Apocalypse, not Firehawk. I've got the Apocalypse banner for when that was open at Six Flags America. Um, as far as things that aren't, you know, themed entertainment, I did collect magic tricks for a very long time. Did you know this? Um, no, I don't think I did, but it makes sense. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm essentially, essentially, um, Job from Arrested Development. Um, but I've got plenty of tricks. I used to do magic, uh, all the time. I actually did it professionally. And when I say professionally, uh, I got paid to do it. So, um, wow. that I, I at least could get some money that way, but that was before I was even in college. So I did it all the way up till probably my sophomore year of high school. I started in the fourth grade, um, but I've got plenty of magic tricks. That stuff still interests me. Sometimes I'm really interested. Sometimes I'm not, but I have, I wouldn't say hundreds, but I've got a lot of different card decks, uh, different colors and limited editions from like bicycle, um, different ones from illusionist when they do different colors. So I like to collect that, uh, close up magic stage magic. I've got a lot of magic stuff. Um, just because I like it. And I feel like if I wanted to, if I practice for a couple weeks, I could start doing it again actively, but maybe some other time. I also have uh, a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh cards from when I was younger. I don't collect them now, but it's paying off because people are buying those now. And so now I'm like, whoa, I could sell this. I was watching this random video that was recommended to me on YouTube. It was like pricing out my Yu-Gi-Oh collection. And I was like, oh, I've got those cards. And there was one card this guy had that was like, oh, I've got that card and I've got the first edition or limited edition, whatever it was. And he said, uh, yeah, you could probably sell this on eBay for around $400. And I was like, Oh, well, I guess I'm going to sell that card. So hmm. those are, that's some random things that, that I collect. I, I don't know what else I could say. I like to collect technology, I guess. Like I like to, to buy the, the cool hip stuff, like I collect video games, I guess I'll buy a video game on the steam sale for $3 and sometimes never even play it or, play 20 minutes of it but it's like it's a three dollar video game like why not yeah now it's yours and now video games at least for like the ps5 and xbox one are starting now at 70 dollars, so they just keep going up in price yeah hmm. well i guess when you get 60 frames per second they gotta finance that somehow yeah that's true that's true but that was a good question from dale i really liked that i'm the coaster magnet thing is so cool. I, I can't express how cool that is. And dear listener, to touch on that, the reason why Dale would have that 
many roller coasters will use magnets to slow down the, the coaster so it can come to a almost complete stop. Uh, they'll still have to use some sort of pinching mechanism, like an actual braking mechanism like you'd find on a car to come to a full stop or maybe friction wheels. But magnets are a very safe and really, you know, fail safe way to bring a car very slowed um, to the station. And they're also used to launch. If you've ever taken the, the, the two repelling ends of a magnet together and they push apart. Imagine that, but on a giant scale with electromagnets, that's how a lot of roller coasters um, launch out of a station or launch during a launch section. Magnets are magic, huh? (laughs) (laughs) They really are. They sound cool. Yeah. Maybe that's why I was also scared of coasters growing up. They're so loud. Oh yeah. Especially something like Raptor. Woof. Oh yeah. Raptor or any, any L I M or L S M magnet launches super loud. Well, DJ, that was our listener question for this episode, but now it's time to get into what's going on. So, DJ, this is another question I will ask you this episode. What's going on? Something interesting, and we've kind of teased this a little bit in the beginning of the episode. Um, Magic Kingdom has an excellent fireworks show um, that was canceled for a while with the pandemic, with the year like no other. And again, we are still in another year like no other, but um, fireworks have been reintroduced back to the park. um, And Happily Ever After um, is a great fireworks show. Have you seen it, Chris? I have seen it from afar. I think I was on the beach at the Polynesian. Okay. I've seen it uh, in the park, towards the entrance of the park, and then I've seen it many times Polynesian around there. Uh, I think the Grand Floridian one time. Uh, it's an awesome show. And what's really cool about seeing it from afar is that some of those episodes, or not episodes, that some of those resorts, they will actually bring in the music from the park to the resort. So the Polynesian, for example, you can stand on the beach there and be far away and away from the crowds, but you'll still have the same music synced to the fireworks. So I always thought that was really cool. Yeah. But as cool things are, cool things must go and happily ever after is leaving us um the last chance to see it i believe is september 30th so uh i would say if you haven't seen it if you could make a trip down there if it's realistic for you and you like fireworks i would encourage you to do it i think the show is incredible um it's going to be replaced by a experience called enchanted Um, that's to celebrate walt disney world's 50th anniversary starting october 1 um this seems to be kind of a common thing though um these shows are changed out regularly. Now, you might say regularly, what does that mean? Um, but I think this makes sense for a 50th anniversary. Um, I don't think Magic Kingdom has anything new to offer for the 50th year. Um, well, it's not really, going to be Tron. Well, yeah, exactly. Because I was thinking, what could they have? I mean, really, it would either be Tron or maybe some reskin of a ride that we don't know about yet. It's not going to be the Splash Mountain reskin. They haven't even started that. Um I don't know. I personally think this will be bigger than um, Happily Ever After, this new Enchanted show. I think they're going to create something that will be more memorable and truly deserving um, of a 50th celebration. They have to have something, and this is Disney. Well, DJ, I agree with you that we are probably thinking bigger, more spectacular for Enchanted, but I'm going to... But I'm going to put a little bit of resistance against your statement that these shows are changed out regularly, um, at, at least in my experience. And if I understand this correctly, there have been in the last 20 years, three regular season nighttime spectaculars at the Magic Kingdom. 
Uh, I think Fantasy in the Sky had been in there pretty much forever. Then Wishes started in the early 2000s, lasted more than a decade, and then Happily Ever After started in 2017, was it? And then that lasted Mm -hmm. four-ish years with uh, more than a year of downtime within that period. So the duration of these nighttime shows is definitely getting shorter. It's a bit of a reverse exponential uh, thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I haven't Mm -hmm. done math in a while, but the graph (laughs) would look reverse exponential of lasting for a long time to progressively lasting shorter and shorter. Um, But that being said, I think the 50th anniversary of the Magic Kingdom and the resort as a whole does demand a specialized 50th anniversary show, at least for that year. I think this will be a long-lasting, well, not a long-lasting show, but I think this will stay around more than for the 50th. I think there might be a component that uses 50th something, but I think this will be something yeah. that, that, that stands. I mean, that being said, Epcot is also changing their show, or I think they're, I guess, starting a show again. Um, yes, Harmonious. This time. And didn't Animal Kingdom just do something new recently as well in the past three um, or four years? Well, there was something called Rivers of Light, and yes. that's gone. Right, <laughs> and right. I, I don't know if they're going to be doing anything with that show infrastructure that they put in that body of water around there and all the seating that they built around there. I don't think any been, anything has been announced. So at this point, I think it's unlikely that we're going to get something for the 50th in that show venue. Um, but they are doing enhancements to... Um, the Tree of Life as the icon to that park, in addition to the Tower of Terror, um, the Epcot Ball. <laughs> um, Epcot Ball. Epcot Ball. And uh, the, uh, the Cinderella Castle as well. Uh, I want to, though, I want to touch on the fact that um, there's something called Diz Twitter out there. <laughs> mm. and this is the Twitter side of the Disney Parks fandom and and other parks fandom out there. And, and Twitter is a dark place. Well, it is now. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're on Twitter. Go follow us there, Quokstrukonfos on Twitter. But um, that's my favorite social media we have. It can get pretty contentious. And I think a, a lot of people both were sad when Wishes went away because they had a lot of memories built into watching Wishes when they would go to the Magic Kingdom. Personally, I never saw the show, so it didn't mean anything to me when it went away. And I knew, objectively, Happily Ever After would be better because it was just a newer show and they have advancements in projection mapping and all of the other lasers and all of that that has come a long way since Wishes began. So good. The music mix is spot on. And so Happily Ever After was great, and now we're seeing something similar where a lot of people over these past four years have grown attached to Happily Ever After uh, as a a fun show that they make a part of their Disney experiences when they go. Like I said, I've only seen it once, and that was from really far away, Um, but it looks like a really great show, and, and surely enchanted or whatever they're going to do for the 50th anniversary beginning in october is going to be even better 
if we look at Remember Dreams Come True and Disneyland Forever, uh, these were the 50th and 60th anniversary shows in the Disneyland Resort uh, in 2005 and 2015, respectively. Um, These shows have both lived beyond their anniversary season, their anniversary year. Remember Dreams Come True most recently played at the resort. I'm trying to remember this. Uh, I think it was the summer of 2018, or it was right between the end of Pixar Fest, which had uh, a Pixar-related fireworks show, the end of that on Labor Day in 2018, and then Remember Dreams Come True played for non-Halloween party nights all the way up to... Believe in Holiday Magic, which is the Disneyland Resort's um, like 20-plus-year-old Christmas show that they have for fireworks. Does California do anything specifically? What do you mean? California's Adventure. Do they have a specific nighttime experience? World of Color. Okay. Yeah, okay. and they have different versions for World of Color. Um in the last several years, there had been more than a, a year downtime for World of Color outside of COVID-related interruptions, and that was because of a, a major element breaking in their uh, show infrastructure that took a while to fix. And so mm. <laughs> World of Color was down for a long time um, between 2017 and 2018 to early 2019, somewhere around there. Um, I, I'm unsure of the status of that show right now, because again, who knows <laughs> right. uh, with what's going on with that. But at least at the Disneyland Resort, Disneyland Forever also returned for the summer of 2019. Um, so it was just four years after uh, that show debuted, it came back at the Disneyland Resort. Now, I know these are different parks, different resorts even, different size of the country, but I think that people have not seen the last of Happily Ever After. Because if a show is good and the tech is still up to date, there's no reason why they couldn't bring it back for three or four weeks out of the year and make a, a special event out of it. So... <laughs> I think that uh, we probably have not seen the last of Happily Ever After. And who knows, maybe even Wishes will make a return, (laughs) maybe sometime in 2023. Do you know what my favorite part of Happily Ever After is? No. Uh, Writing anything while everyone's watching Happily Ever After. (laughs) Oh, you're one of those people, huh? Okay. (laughs) Big Thunder Mountain, that's where I go. Well, I... There's not a lot that I it remember very about good, though. Happily Ever After. I think I remember loving the um, Hercules section, the Hercules movement of that show. We're probably going to see it return sometime. If we don't, I mean, Enchanta is going to be great. It has to be. It has to yeah. be great. Because People will be up in arms if not. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Nighttime spectacular shows, with the exception of Rivers of Light, Disney doesn't really miss except for Rivers of Light, from what I've heard. Now, I've listened to the music of Rivers of Light. I've seen pictures of it. It looked cool, but apparently it just didn't work. And I don't know why that is, but oh well. We're not Imagineers, are we? Yeah. 
We are not. We are, we're better than Imagineers. We are theme park podcasters with opinions on things that we might not be fully informed on. We are podcasters. Speaking of things we not, might not be fully uh, opinionated on or have enough information on, how about we talk about a movie that neither of us have seen yet? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, this is a cool... I thought a cool concept I came up with um, this week, uh, July 30th coming up, we will have the premiere of Jungle Cruise in theaters. Now, I could not find a score on this for a review. Um, I didn't really jump into any written reviews either. Um, but the reason I knew this came out is because they had the actual red carpet premiere, I think, yesterday, July 24th on Saturday, or it might have been the 23rd. Um, but I thought this would be a good opportunity to maybe quickly talk about Disney movies that are based on rides. So not Disney rides based on movies, but Disney movies based on rides. And so we start with Jungle Cruise, perhaps the newest example of this, a movie starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Emily Blunt. Um, no review out yet, um, but what do we think? Do you think it'll be good, Chris? I have trouble seeing The Rock as this swashbuckling skipper character. I think that it is going to be a perfectly competent, broad appeal action movie with a couple of callbacks to uh, the Jungle Cruise attraction. That's what I think it's going to be. Uh, and teasing um, another one we'll talk about here in a second, perhaps the most iconic one, but do you think we will see any characters from this movie be integrated into the Jungle Cruise experience, maybe years afterwards. At this point, I'm going to go with no, because we're already seeing changes, enhancements being made to the Jungle Cruise in Disneyland and Magic Kingdom. I think that is going to put the attraction in a place where it can coast for another couple of decades. I don't think it's going to get... Uh, face character animatronics of Emily Blunt and Dwayne <laughs> The Rock Johnson. I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, okay, so only time will tell. I think I'm with you, too. Don't think this will happen. I don't think it's going to have the cultural um, significance that this next movie it will have. That's Pirates of the Caribbean or Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, this is perhaps the most famous um, Disney movie that's based on a ride. I, I think it's actually, say, without a doubt it is. Um, multiple, multiple sequels. I haven't seen all of them. This movie, just the, especially the first one, I think is an excellent movie. Um, what are your thoughts on that movie? Uh, it's definitely a lot of fun to watch. I think they're up to five movies now. <laughs> yes. With the and at one point having a movie that said this is going to end it all, and then coming out with another movie. Yeah, I, I I remember the first three being really great, and the Davy Jones character introduced in the second movie, I was like, wow, oh. this is really cool. How yep. did they do that? That's amazing CGI. Uh, uh, but then the fourth movie, the, I think I saw it once and I never thought about it again. Is that and, at World's End? Well, no, the, the fourth one, the one with the mermaids. I know Stranger Tides is the newest one. Right? No, that was Dead Men Tell No Tales. Oh, okay. On Stranger Tides, I think that was the fourth one. Okay, which, okay. Not good. Um, so World's End was three. 
Oh yeah, which was I think it's the most That's expensive the epic film ever made. <laughs> really? Yeah, I think it's oh, wow. up there. If it's still not the, I mean, Avatar is probably going to blow it yeah. out of the water when the sequels come out, if right. they do. Right. But I think At World's End is up there as one of the most expensive films ever created. Um, and then the fifth one, which came out in 2017, was a bit of a refocusing of the pirate story and introduced some new younger characters and. Well, we, we never saw anything else since then, so I don't know yet what the status of the Pirates franchise is, but um, that was a decent film, and you can't really go wrong with Javier Bardem. You can't go wrong. Now, that is a movie that, uh, well, really, I should say a ride. That is a ride that is iconic to the Disney experience, um, and a ride that has Jack Sparrow at the end of the ride as... Johnny Depp um, playing that role. Um, one of my favorite animatronics, actually, at Disney. Um, why do you think that ride was deserving of that treatment, to, to swap out that character specifically? Swap out the character with what character? Or, sorry, add in. I shouldn't say swap oh, out. okay. Um, well, it's interesting to think about. I think that we are currently enjoying a version of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride that has since been... Now, I can only comment for the Disneyland Pirates. I have okay. only ridden the Magic Kingdom Pirates once. I remember liking it, but I know that the, the Disneyland Pirates is superior in many ways in terms of the scope of the ride and, and various mm. things. But the first time that I rode the Disneyland Pirates, it had a few different elements than what is currently offered. And I think that's because when they wanted to put the characters of the movies into the ride, they did it wherever they could at the expense of the narrative. Mm. But I think that in the last probably seven years, there has been a cleaning up of that. And I can definitely say that at the Disneyland resort where they have the first half of the ride with the drops. And then you see the skeletons and all of that and the cursed treasure. Um, but then you get to this dark tunnel where they took out the Davy Jones fog projection, um, which just was like, ah, I'm, I'm David Jones, that sort of thing. <laughs> and they actually restored a scene involving a pirate and an octopus holding treasure. Mm. Now, this tableau had been lost for I don't know how long, but they brought that back there where when you're coming to this scene, it's a skeleton in that cage. But as you go past it, it turns into a flesh and blood pirate. Right. And from that point on, it's the live pirates. And it's the pirates sacking the city and being chased right. out and wreaking havoc and all that sort of thing. I know that I, I'm probably looking deeper into the narrative than I should, but <laughs> that has been a restoration of the pirate's ride experience that has only come about in the last couple of years. 
Um, I, I want to say that when I first rode Pirates, I couldn't really tell what was going on. Um, it was just, oh, there's skeletons. Oh, now there's pirates. Oh, they're doing all this crazy stuff, and there's flames and all of that. And it was cool, but now it makes more sense as an A to B to C to D story where it is still fantastical and there's spectacle there as well, but there's also the Jack Sparrow character there too, um, embellishing the story uh, with his presence. Am I making any sense? Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think the mix of it now is, is like you said, it really it's spot on. Um, yeah. I think and it wasn't the... always like that. Like we, yeah, it was, Boom, now there's these Jack Sparrow animatronics everywhere, and we don't really have a story anymore. Now I think that has been corrected, at least at the Disneyland Resort. I can't talk to the Magic Kingdom, but I think that's how the attraction is now. I've been on Magic Kingdoms multiple times, and I think, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, Jack Sparrow is faintly there. Like I think he's in a barrel or something, and you're like, if you knew who Jack Sparrow was, you'd be like, oh, that's that's Jack Sparrow right there. Um, and then at the end, you have the big reveal of his um, of his animatronic and him singing the song with everybody and his voice meshing in. Um, but I thought that was like the perfect balance. So okay. I don't remember anything before that. Well, at the Disneyland Pirates, he is in at several points because all of the pirates are looking for Jack Sparrow. Maybe, he, maybe he is. I don't, I don't remember seeing Barbosa at all. Yeah, at least at Disneyland, there is Barbosa saying, Ah, where is Jack Sparrow? <laughs> and, then, uh, and then we go into the, the pirate village and, and there's all that stuff happening. So I don't know if it simply makes more sense to me because I've ridden it so many times now, mm-hmm. or if it's that the enhancements and the changes that they've made in the past several years have made it more linear Hmm. i don't know fair that's fair but i gotta say the restoration of that octopus and pirate in a cage scene has really elevated that attraction for me as a okay i get it now that's the curse i understand what the curse is and then boom and we go on to the flesh and blood pirate scenes but it's deeper than I thought we were going to get on <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean in this uh, episode. <laughs> well, see how deep you get with this next uh, Disney uh, movie, or Disney ride based on a movie. Sorry, Disney movie based on a ride. Uh, Haunted Mansion. This is the Eddie Murphy classic. Did you ever see that movie? Uh, I saw it once, and I think I got a toy from a Happy Meal at McDonald's, but that yes. was the extent. I also received uh, one of the Grim Grinning Ghosts as a toy at McDonald's and a Happy Meal. Uh, it would sing that famous song, um, but I did not see the movie. Um, I think this is one that we just mentioned to say, hey, remember that? Remember that being an actual thing? Remember all the money they pumped into that thing to get people to watch it? And that was around the same time as Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, they said, all right, let's go back to New Orleans Square. <laughs> what else could we look into to get a, a film franchise out of our existing properties? And it didn't really take off for whatever reason. It didn't take off, and neither did this most recent one, Tomorrowland. Did you happen to see that? 2015 that came out. 
I have not seen it because I don't really understand what the movie was about. <laughs> it was I didn't impossible. either. I just saw it as like, okay, it's a city in the future, but like, it's one of those things where now, now that I see Jungle Cruise, I'm like, okay, I guess that makes sense as a movie, but like Tomorrowland as a movie, like what are the iconic things there that they're going to, inco- that they're going to incorporate into the movie? Yeah, and I don't think that that has a lasting effect on the Tomorrowland in Disney parks. So, yeah. Yeah, I I, I agree with you there. And some less notable titles here. Maybe you, dear listener, have seen these. Um, Mission Space, um, that was a movie. Uh, when Tower, was that a movie? I, th- I thought it was a movie. Maybe I was completely wrong. Maybe I'm thinking of something completely different. Hold on. Well, I know Gary Sinise was in Apollo 13, wasn't he? Uh, I think so. Maybe I just read that wrong. I, I thought I had that right. Uh, sorry. Mission to Mars is what okay. I'm thinking of. Mission to Mars, not Mission to Space. I'm wrong. Uh, but Mission to Mars was one. Uh, then Tower of Terror actually had its own movie. When was know, that? I didn't know that was a thing. Tower of Terror, that was... Um, 1997, a show inspiring a ride that inspired the movie The Tower of Terror, first based on the Twilight Zone, inspired a movie in 1997. Though the film may not have the best reviews, it does have its own following, and its fans were bummed to find out that Disney Plus had not made it available on their streaming service. Uh, so if I understand that right, the Twilight Zone inspired the Tower of Terror. We know that. And then the Tower of Terror inspired a movie, the Tower of Terror. Huh. In 97. Uh, we also have the Country Bears, a movie that I loathe. I hate that movie. <laughs> I saw it maybe twice, actually. Once in the theaters and one when it was played on, a, on the charter bus TVs on the way to camp. <laughs> okay. Okay. And, and a little more context to, to the mission to Mars too. The the flight to the moon ride ride was changed to mission to Mars. With yes. that came inspiration to create a film destined to reach the stars mission to Mars. The film would soon inspire what this ride would ultimately come to be mission to Mars year 2000. Yes. That was actually a very early attraction in the original Disneyland at Disneyland, I guess, at the Disneyland Resort. Um, it was to the moon, where they were trying to simulate the launch and arrival at the moon in a theater-style experience with a large screen. But oh. then, in 69, it really happened. <laughs> and there's great images of the Tomorrowland stage hosting a large screen of the live moon landing. Oh, um, just in the middle cool. of Disneyland. Um, and so <laughs> wow. a couple of years after that, they said, well, we got to change that now. I mean, the moon has been <laughs> conquered for the, for the uh, most part. We got to go to Mars now. And, <laughs> and so they up. changed it to Mars as a destination instead of the moon for a while. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And, and also uh, just a little final tidbit from me on this. Um, in 1977, uh, they actually pitched... It's a small world to be a movie, uh, but it never happened. Oh man! Yeah, I know. I know we're all craving a small world movie, but uh, yeah, it didn't happen. And that that all came from DisneyAddicts.com. So check that out once you get a chance. DisneyAddicts.com. Well, Big Thunder Mountain 
was almost a television show on ABC. What? I feel like that was kicked around for a while, and I remember hearing about it, but uh, it, of course, never <laughs> happened. Just an Old West TV show? Yeah. And huh. there's actually a whole lot okay. of lore around the story of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad that we just don't really get when we are that. riding the attraction. D- DJ, do you know the whole story about it? I don't, but I, I'm saying I think I knew that because there, I, that cue, there's just so much to it. Like, yeah. there has to be a story. Yeah, there is a, a large backstory about Rainbow Ridge, which is the area around there, uh, also paying homage to um, the mine train through nature's wonderland, which preceded the area around Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Uh, In that area, they started mining, and then they uh, angered some of the spirits in the mountain, and then that uh, took over the mine train vehicle itself and sent you on a wild ride. And so that is a, a Cliff Notes, a Cliff Notes version of that story. And if once you go up a lift and you look to, well, it's you look to the left if you are uh, thinking at Disneyland, you actually do see um, the spirits themselves uh, reacting. And there there are bats there too. And there's a an air effect that you'll only get. Five percent of the time that you ride, <laughs> where there's air blasted in your face, but you have to be at the perfect spot on the train, which uh, it it depends yeah. on the train and the ride itself. But more often than a mo- moving Yeti, at least it's not something that is really included in the um, everyday ride experience for Big Thunder Mountain because uh, it does. Sorry, my. Amazon device woke up for whatever reason, oh, but I'm not explaining the story well. But I think that's the beauty of the ride there. You don't really need to know the story very well to enjoy Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Yeah, it's, it, it's like a explore on your own sort of thing. I'm sure there's a Wikipedia article on it or something like maybe on DisneyAddicts.com that might be there too. Yeah. The full story. Well, that was an interesting segment. I'm glad we got to do that. But, you know, the Jungle Cruise coming out, if you, dear listeners, see it, let us know what you think. Maybe save us the time of uh, having to watch the movie because... I don't think it's going to be a, a blockbuster hit by any means. I'll go see it, probably. You'll I need go see it. Okay. movie theater popcorn. <laughs> okay, all right. I bought a popcorn maker a few months ago, and that was the best investment I've made as an adult. Now, what kind of uh, popper? We don't have time to talk about this, DJ, but tell me after the show. We can't. I'll let you know. Well, DJ, like I mentioned with time, it's time to look down at your wrist because it is time for the watch. I don't wear a watch. Okay, I want Zoomer. to. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> My wife has an Apple Watch she never wears, um, so I'm trying to to con that off of her some way. But hopefully she doesn't listen to this episode. Well, the watch, and this is a sort of like a, a placeholder title. This is just where we're talking about what we've been watching over mm. the past week and our thoughts about it. Um, I don't really have a... I'm not sure if we have reached a lasting title for this, but, and I'm not even sure if this is going to stick around, but it's something that I would like us to try out because, like we said, you are watching Game of Thrones, and I just think it's going to be very amusing for the listeners to uh, follow along your Game of Thrones journey. But before we do that, let me go first, and that is 
I have been watching a lot of the 32nd Summer Olympiad. <laughs> That's the Olympics in Tokyo. I've watched the opening ceremony, fencing, skateboarding, basketball, the triathlon, and gymnastics so far. And it's still, like I thought, watching empty sporting venues for football and what have you for a whole year now, I would be used to it. But really, just looking at these enormous Olympic venues, it still looks so strange because these are purpose-built venues that are just empty and there's no crowd noise. And I know that that's how it has to be right now, unfortunately, but it still looks strange. Now, I, I haven't watched any of them, but I'm surprised that they don't pipe in crowd noise like they did. The NFL did that. MLB did it as well. Well, uh, it's... Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about why that choice is, because I know that at least for football, the crowd noise was only for the broadcast. It wasn't this way for uh, oh, the actual players yeah. and people in the stadium. Um, hmm. So I, I wonder. Yeah, uh, and they didn't really have time to go back to the blueprints and say, hey, no one's going to be here because they didn't know. Yeah. It's kind of like, I guess we'd rather have venues that can support people and they not show up rather than, oh, we could have housed thousands of people and now we can't. Well, it got me thinking, DJ, and I know that we're not in the idea corner, but let me throw out a quick idea for you. I wonder what an Olympics purely built for broadcast consumption could look like. If we built the games only to view it on television and other streaming services or what have you, could we see something like, I think about all the, the mountaintops that they have showed in Tokyo. Could we have swimming pools on top of the mountains and maybe beach volleyball on man-made sandbars in the, the bay around Tokyo like we're watching Survivor and they have one of those uh, competitions on the sandbar in the middle of nowhere so that it's just these incredible locations and <laughs> it's interesting it's sort of like Survivor where they scout out these incredible locations around the islands to um, make it really great purely for broadcast consumption. I think that the Olympics will continue to have a major component be in-person consumption of the viewer, the viewership, but I just wonder, because thinking back to the 2016 games in Rio, the temporary venue that they built for beach volleyball on the beach itself was beautiful and amazing, and it overlooked the water. And I just wonder... Is it possible to turn that dial up to 11 and take it further? I'm going to be interested to see this with Paris in 24, L.A. in 28, and now Brisbane in 32. I, I guess I'd say, like, I don't see why not. I guess the only difficulty is, like, if the location is so beautiful or majestic or exotic, the logistics of getting the athletes there and all of the supporting equipment and everything required to run those events. Yeah, I think that's a good thought, at least. I'm going to build it in Minecraft, and then I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy it. Just enjoy that. Yeah. Well, what are you watching, DJ? Well, I'm watching Game of Thrones, <laughs> as we talked about at the beginning of the episode. Um, I, it's so funny. There was a character that I really liked in, in the season that I was on. I really liked everything about him. I didn't really like him at the beginning, I'll say, um, but I was like, oh, man. I really, I really like this character. It, it, everything about him is, is great. Um, 
And then I texted a group chat I'm in with uh, my wife and two other people, all three of which have seen the show except for me. And I said, wow, I, I love this person. And then within four episodes, I was like, I cannot believe this show because what they did to this character. If you know Game of Thrones, I think most people know it's a show where like everybody dies. That's just expected. But it just, I touched on this in our last episode. It just happens so quick. Everything's so instant. You're just like, oh, okay, well, they're gone. Um, so, you know, that was tough. Uh, but more easy, list, easy watching. Um, I have seen Ant-Man. Didn't like it. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Really liked it. Um, rewatched Dark Knight the other day. Um, I think Dark Knight's the best superhero movie ever made. Um and uh, we'll, we'll leave that there and let that simmer. Um, and I also was tipped off to a new series. I knew this was coming, but I kind of forgot that it existed until a very dear listener of ours, uh, his name is Christian, um, he tipped me off on this series, Behind the Attraction. Now, this is on Disney+. Plus. Uh, it kind of goes a bit deeper than the Imagineering story, um, which, of course, the Imagineering story, the whole idea is the Imagineers. That's the focus. Um, but Behind the Attraction really focuses on certain attractions and devotes around 40 minutes to various iconic attractions at the Disney park. So I was able to pick and choose on this. So I was able to watch um, Haunted Mansion, and then I was able to watch Tower of Terror. Those are two of my favorite rides. Um, lots of really cool tidbits of info, interviews from folks who really made the magic. Um, it was interesting to see how the idea of Haunted Mansion and what it should be was contrasted between Tower of Terror and what it should be. Um, Walt Disney was extremely involved in Haunted Mansion until he passed away before it opened, whereas he was not involved in Tower of Terror at all. All the Imagineers were basically different for both of those projects. Um, but Haunted Mansion's interesting. They talk about little tidbits like the shrinking room, or I'm sorry, the expanding room, the moving room, stretching room, stretching that's what room. it is. Stretching yeah. room. I knew I'd get there. Uh, at Disneyland, it's a physical elevator where you go down. Disney World, the, the room just moves up. Um, and kind of the little subtle differences, um, making the hat box ghost a reality, that was really cool. It was an original idea that wasn't incorporated until later because of technology. Um, and then Tower of Terror was interesting, too. Um, I thought it was you know, kind of, I guess, eye-opening to, to hear Michael Eisner's vision for this. And they did all of the work on it, and he hated it when he first saw it. Like, originally, Tower of Terror was supposed to be a, res a resort. It was also supposed to be a hotel-looking resort. It was supposed to have a ride inside of the resort. And basically, the consensus was, in the early days, it's like, a hotel is a place where you relax and you enjoy yourself. Why are we going to put an elevator thrill ride, a drop tower, essentially, inside of a hotel? Which is funny, because now we're going to have the new Star Wars hotel, which doesn't seem to be a relaxing experience, maybe. It's very involved. Um, but time will tell with that. So that was, that was interesting, and I did learn a little tidbit here. Chris, do you know how tall the Tower of Terror in Orlando is? Uh, 214 feet? It is 199 feet and some change. Oh, because Be of the beacon. Yep. If any yeah. any building is over 200 feet, they have to have a, a lit be beacon, a, a flashing red light. And the Imagineers said, we can't have that. So they dropped it to 199 feet and some change. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, also, they 
go a bit more in depth of how the Galaxy's uh, Guardians of the Galaxy skin was done to the the ride over in California's Adventure. That was interesting. They had like basically no time, and it basically all came together. Joe Rohde was involved in it, one of the most famous Imagineers, and he wasn't originally supposed to be. He literally opened Pandora in the morning, got on a plane, and went to California's Adventure and opened um, the breakout ride, Guardians of the Galaxy, on the same day. So, yeah, I don't envy uh... that. <laughs> If the listener is very, or DJ, if you are very interested in really getting a in-depth look at how they built Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout, um, there's a, a very good recorded presentation of the uh, TEA Summit case study from 2018 uh, on the TEA YouTube channel. You just search something like TEA Summit 2018 Guardians Mission Breakout, and you'll probably come up to it. Uh, it was a long lecture-style presentation with Joe Rohde and many of the other prominent Imagineers on that project where they talked about how they built that attraction. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, you know they didn't have time to change the ride system, and that was something they wanted to do. So they ended up just tweaking it to make it more of a weightless experience than a freefall experience that you get on Tower of Terror um, over in Orlando and the other parks. And of course, the Imagineering story does this too, but it goes into Tokyo Disney Sea's version. Um, it goes into the um, Paris's version, Disneyland Paris. Uh, and so it's definitely worth a watch. There's uh, other episodes. I think It's a Small World has its own episode. Uh, there's two more that didn't seem as interesting to me. Oh, Jungle Cruise. I've never been on Jungle Cruise, so I didn't want to watch it. I didn't want to spoil it. Um, and there's one more. I can't think of the other one. Well, it's uh, definitely going to have to watch it sometime. I I understand, now again, getting back to Diz Twitter out there. <laughs> um, some people, of course, would have wanted it to go more in-depth, more into rare archival footage or whatever else, but I understand that this is maybe something other than that. This is a introduction to learning about the history of these attractions, and that's perfectly fine. Um, speaking of the Imagineering story, DJ, this is a, a story that is, I guess, 40 episodes in the making now because this is our 40th episode. <laughs> I am almost done with the Imagineering story. Yeah, I couldn't believe, as a huge Disney fan as you are, I mean, and this is not a slight against you, but you are thousand percent more of a Disney fan than I am. I was just so shocked that you hadn't seen this. Not only that, but that you hadn't seen it before I'd seen it. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I remember re being really excited for it to come out, but I just didn't want to watch it when it came out. And, and that's, there's a complex answer about like, I just didn't want it. I already knew about the Imagineering story, I had read books, I had yep. watched YouTube videos, and did I need something that was curated carefully by Disney? Oh, And I just didn't watch it when it came out. But uh, little by little, I'm watching it now, and I have a little bit of the last episode to go, and then I will have watched it. And uh, so far, it's a fun watch. I like how... Um, they really go through all these projects, including some projects that didn't come to fruition. I also like how they go into their shortcomings a little bit, a little bit. They, I mean, they do a little bit, but it felt strange having Michael Eisner as such a major part of the documentary. And 
I know that they couldn't really tell the story without him, and uh, but he's in it, and he sort of looks like Thanos. In his, <laughs> I mean, he's he's aged a little bit as as we all do, but he sort he looks of looks like John like Travolta. Thanos. Yeah, maybe some of that too. But I just feel like, from what I understand of the last couple of years of his time as CEO, that I've glean through interviews with people in books and things like that. It seems almost like a, a misrepresentation of the last couple of years of his time as CEO. Like even through the opening of Disneyland Paris through the end of his time in around 2005, they, they want to seem unbiased in their telling, but they sort of glossed over that time period um, probably because he was heavily involved with the documentary that they he had a little bit of say about what they talked about for that time period. But um, if you if you want to learn more about what I'm saying of that time period, Defunct Land and Yesterworld are some of the best YouTube channels out there for attractions related content that is uh, unafraid to go there. I guess uh, to put it that way. Yeah, this is the CEO who would have his child basically direct the direction of the Disney parks. That's what I was, that's a big thing that I was referring to DJ, where um, there's a great interview with Tony Baxter in the season pass podcast. I mean, they have probably more than nine interview segments of just going out and talking with him. And he would talk about that. And I know CEOs like to be creative decision makers, but at that point I'm like, why do you even care if you're just going to have your kid ride it and he gives it a thumbs up or thumbs down? I mean, like, come on, man. That's an interesting take by you just because I felt like I watched that and I knew that, oh, Michael Eisner was a terrible period for Disney. You thought until, that they portrayed it like that? that? I personally thought that until Bob Iger stepped up to the plate. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that they were a little more sugar-coated than that. I think so. Like, it, it seemed to me they would say something on the documentary and then they'd bring him in and he'd have his own anecdote, say, well, yeah. here's what actually happened. But I was like, oh, yeah, this guy's just, like, defending himself to make it seem like, you know, he like, wasn't the whole part of the problem, which is true. Like, I wasn't, don't think <laughs> that they even mentioned Paul Pressler. If they did, it was once. I don't know who that is. Uh, well, it's a long story, but <laughs> it feeds into that time period that I mentioned where uh, it was not a, a bright time for how the parks were uh, operated and, and made new and maintained and that sort of thing well, uh, in I terms would, of cost savings. I would encourage you to watch Behind the Attraction because on Tower of Terror, that was a big Michael Eisner thing. And it's just so funny because the Imagineers you're interviewing, you're like, uh, okay, like he changes his mind so quick. It just seems like he doesn't have a vision of what he wants. Yeah, and I think that to an extent, we are conditioned to think that that is, oh, the brilliant mind of the CEO guiding us to a higher product, even if we don't see the journey and how it happens. I know it's going to be for something. And this is not just Disney. This is like, this is Anywhere. business. Anywhere, and, yep. Like we think of the Musk characters, the Elon Musk and all this sort of thing where they tweet random stuff that is it just, that's the announcement. It wasn't run through their PR departments or anything. And I think we are primed to think of that as cool and 
Yeah, that's that's how we shake things up and do it. But I I don't uh, think the vision like the vision of Haunted Mansion, in my opinion, from from Walt's vision, never changed. Even after he died, the vision didn't change. Did it look different many times? Oh yeah, and did it de- was it delayed because of his vision? Yes, but I I think the vision was the same. Tower of Terror, there there was no vision for that ride. There was hmm. an idea for it. Well, in terms of Imagineering itself, there's also the consideration of cost. And there's a lot that I don't know and that we can't know about how expensive these designs are and about why Imagineering is so much more expensive than working with a, another design firm that could do something that that parks like... Universal and Cedar Fair, Six Flags, SeaWorld contract this design work out to something like PGAV Destinations or the Thinkwell Group, and they can do it exponentially more cost-effective than WDI, and why that is. Of Mm. course, we're not going to get an answer to that in the Imagineering story or behind the attraction, but it is interesting to consider about the disconnect between cost and product between what Disney is working with and what everybody else is working with. Well, and with that, it is time to hit the brakes, Chris, but we're not done yet. No, we're not entirely done. We still got to talk about our newest giveaway, our listener giveaway that we have just announced on our last episode. It's an important one, and it is my personal chili recipe. This is something that where when we reach a certain level, we all win. This is not just going to be <laughs> one listener chosen. <laughs> uh, just, just so you know, uh, well, well, go ahead and say what the prize is, and I'll add some context here. Yeah, once we reach 20 written five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts, we have a deal. We will release my personal chili recipe, and this is something (laughs) that I've been working on for years now, and it's in a good spot right now, and there's some pretty daring ingredients in it, so I I look forward to sharing it with you all. Uh, My wife is... Very interested. Um, she hates beans, I've, I've found out. Um, mm-hmm. I thought she just didn't like them, but she hates them. Uh, and so she said, randomly today, she said, Chris has a chili recipe without beans? And yeah. I said, yes, he does. <laughs> he said, well, you got to get it from him. And I said, I, I'm not in power here. We have to get uh, at least, <laughs> what, 10, 10 more of these five-star reviews? We're at 10. Yeah. We're yeah. need 10 more. Um, so dear listener, if you want to be in on this as well, we need 10 more Apple reviews to get that awesome recipe from Chris. I'm, I'm interested now too. I, I love beans, but you know, I, it's just one of those things. If there's no beans, it's fine. I'll try it. Yeah. I don't sure still great. like beans in my chili. It's a long story, but I don't. <laughs> so that is our listener giveaway. That is the gauntlet that has been cast down. In the meantime, there is a lot of ways for you to get in contact and to follow the show. We're on Twitter, we're on the YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram as Corkscrew Convos. We also have an email address, corkscrewconvos at gmail.com. So if you, like Dale, have a question that you'd like to ask us, please go ahead and ask, and we would be happy to get into it. 
That's right. Really on any of these platforms and a couple other special ones, you know, TikTok is where we're probably the most popular with folks that might not listen to the podcast. Always some fun content there and trying to push everything over onto YouTube too. Um, we've got, I'm kind of behind on a couple of these. I had it on a schedule and then had a baby come into our lives. So that kind of got veered away, but it's, we'll be up to date there uh, pretty soon. Uh, and then of course, something we're thinking about, I still want to tease it. Thinking about doing something special with Twitch might be sort of a live version of the show. Uh, not sure if it'll be of the show or maybe something on its own. It might just be a place where our famous lightning round from this show ends up. Um, trying to figure out the best way to uh, use Twitch uh, for you and for other people that might not listen to the podcast. So stay tuned as more news about that comes out. And well, of course, be sure to look at out. the website too. Hear me out. With yeah. Twitch, what if I build my Olympic swimming pool on the mountaintop on Twitch. <laughs> on the Minecraft? Yeah. I think that's a great idea. Okay. Well, it's I, I, I really do because I build just things on Planet Coaster and I know a plethora more of folks watch Minecraft Twitch than they do Planet Coaster Twitch. Yeah, I'm, I'm very methodical with my builds in Minecraft, so I'd have to, I think, speed it up instead of just going place block. <laughs> hey, that's okay. Block. <laughs> as long as you have something to talk about, you know. Yeah, I mean that's that's what we do here here at Corkscrew Convos. Uh, but until next time, my name is Chris, and my name is DJ, and this has been another Corkscrew Convo. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.